Welcome to Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice in a biblical lens. I'm Mason Simmons. I'm Matthew Thompson. And I'm Tanner Higgins. And I had a cheat sheet this week. We're good. Cheat sheet. Redeemed he has been. I'm, I'm going to be honest, though. Like it, it was kind of a hop intro last time. When I was listening to it back at editing, I was like, that, that's not half bad. It's not half bad. Just goofy enough to like make you crack a smile, but not so much that it, just the cheese turns you off. It's like these are just three idiots just here. And like, while that's not completely wrong, we didn't need to give off that vibe. <laughs> that's all right. Well, maybe maybe we can work out something different for season two because, dear listener, season two is something that uh, we're we're in discussions of right now. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, and correct me, Mason or Tanner, if I'm wrong, but we're aiming to take this book of John deep dive as like our end of season one. Now, of course, John is a, a book that we can discuss for many many episodes. So I'm not sitting here saying, "Hey, season finale in one month." No, that's not the case. But we're going to be taking this time while we do this Book of John d- deep dive to figure out what what do we think we're doing right, what do we think we could do better, uh, little changes here and there, whether it be like something as simple as, say, the music or uh, the logo of the podcast uh, and stuff that's more serious and pertinent to the podcast itself, like what's our flow going to be like, how are we going to tackle certain subjects, uh, just try to be le- learn from our experiences yeah. in this season. So if you got any comments or suggestions uh you know email us at uh, podcast.crosstraining.com at gmail.com or go to our facebook and uh, it'll be in the links and stuff like that so mom you can critique me all that you want to you yeah. know do give input <laughs> because if not i will be making death metal the new but be gentle <laughs> yes well yeah. he will do that that's that's not a threat that's a promise he will do that <laughs> all in the name of the glory of the lord you know get some of that narnia uh, metal in you know yeah. Yeah, but uh, as far as changes go, there might be some, and I mean, I know there have been changes so far because this has been a very uh, experimental first season, but things will change from here to there. Um, For instance, you might have noticed that today's episode title wasn't boring, so that got addressed. It's no longer just chapter 2A, 2B. We've got, there's some creativity now, so that's good. Uh, You mean there wasn't creativity to begin with? Well, it's just not something I thought about. Tanner gave me a kick in the <laughs> pants on that subject, so yeah. But th- this intro has gone on long enough. Let's let's get on, uh, into scripture today. We're going over John chapter three. Uh, I don't. We've know got we... some spicy things today. Oh yeah, yeah. Spice. I don't know if we've got the time to get through the whole chapter, but we'll see what get... we can tackle. Well, you say that we get. I know we're we're already kind of expounding upon a little bit, but here, but uh, I know we've kind of talked about getting finishing it off with. Uh, the end of the season with all of John, I'm thinking, dude, there's 21 chapters and we're on yeah. chapter three. We're going to have to crunch yeah. time. But if we want to deep dive, I don't want to skip over anything. And like, there's some, like you said, you got some extra spices from Papa John's earlier. So you're going to sprinkle up on this stuff. I'm going to be burping and that's for sure. I'm going to have to turn it around. <laughs> you're going to be regurgitating some of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, hey, the time between now and when we finish John is plenty of time to really just iron yeah. out like what... What we need to do to make sure this pod, uh, podcast can glorify God more effectively. Because yes. at the end of the day, that I mean, that's the focus. I mean, we might want to make it all shiny and have bells and whistles and stuff. But at the end of the day, we want to have uh, a product that we can proudly say this is how we want to, to worship God with our time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. into into John chapter 3, we're going to be talking about uh, a guy that I, I think there are plenty of opinions on. Uh, good old Nicodemus. I like him. He's an interesting character. I like him. Getting into scripture, John chapter 3, uh, verse 1, it says, There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. So just going off of that alone, what do we think about Nicodemus? I think he is a guy searching for answers. Because obviously, 
uh, he's a guy that has, he, he's within the Pharisees, he's within the, the inner sanctum, I guess, in the sense of being high up of the Jewish order. And I think that he has already, I, I think he's witnessed some of these things because he says, you know, all these miracles and all these signs that you've done. And he's like, are you, what's going on? So why is, are you doing the things that you've done? Maybe he was in the temple when Jesus threw over the tables and Jesus claimed, you know, this is my father's house and you make it a den of thieves. Or maybe he was at the wedding feast. Maybe he is at some of these two events that we've already made mention. And I think he wants to know the truth. And so he's going and searching for the truth. And he's asking the right, I would, I would hope he's asking the right questions, but he's definitely asking the right man. Yeah. I've had some newfound respect for Nicodemus. Not that I lacked respect for him before, just I hadn't really thought about him that much because he's not mentioned very much in the scripture. Uh, but there's this um, TV series that came out not too long ago called The Chosen. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend watching it. Mm -hmm. So, of course, keep in mind, and I do know this full well as I say it, I'm about to describe things that aren't like biblically canon. So the, the things I'm about to say came from someone else's creative liberty. So I, I understand these things very well may have or may not have happened. But anyway, the chosen, in the chosen, Nicodemus is a borderline main character. Like you see a lot of him. And he's, he's a very sympathetic character. Like you see why he makes the decisions that he makes and understand that while this guy isn't right in that like the way that the, the Jews were following um, their, their law was, I mean, sacrilegious according to how Jesus was going to like tear them down and make it clear, hey, this is how we're going to do things from now on. But Nicodemus, it was very clear that he had, he had good intentions at heart. He was trying his best. I mean, he was doing the best of what he had. Uh, there's uh, this beautiful scene where he is instructed, literally instructed by um, the, the Roman higher-ups, like, hey, there's this woman who's demon-possessed, and we need you to take care of her. And he's very straightforward in saying, I don't think I can do that. Like, that's not a thing that we do. And You're talking I, about, like, demon possession, like, exorcism stuff? Or yeah. take care of her, Which, like... Again, friendly reminder, I know this is, like, creative liberty, so I'm not saying this is biblical, like, fact or anything, because it absolutely isn't. But, anyway, food for thought. Um, he's like, I, I don't think that I have the authority to do that. I can try, but I can't promise you anything. And he tries to do his thing. Uh, it's a pretty intense scene, and nothing happens. He leaves, uh, and he tells the Romans that might have done something. Just give her some time in isolation. We'll see what happens. Well, then our boy Jesus shows up <laughs> unannounced. Do doesn't make it clear that he is who he says he is, but he just he lays hands, gets it done. It's all good. So the Romans see this woman clearly healed the next day, and they're like, Nicodemus, he... He did it. He did it. And they go to him, and basically he's just like, I did what? I, wait, what? Hold up. Really? So he goes and seeks out this woman and wants to find out, like, who did this to you? Because I'm pretty sure it wasn't me. And she just tells him what he knows, or what, what she knows, which isn't much. She's just like, some guy showed up. Is this pre-John 3? Yes. Uh, so this could be the miracle. This, mm. <laughs> no. But, uh he's eager to find out who did this because he, he knows deep down inside, like that's not a power that he has. Uh, and she's very straightforward just saying he didn't identify himself, but he knew my name and he said that I was his and he made me whole again. And his reaction isn't one of disdain of, Oh, the, the hierarchy of the Pharisees is about to fall. I'm about to lose all this power, all this money. His reaction is this is wonderful. And I need to find out who this man is. So uh, to remind for a third time, that is not biblical canon. Mm -hmm. It's just fun 
um, creative liberties being taken. But I do think that that is consistent with Nicodemus's character just shown in those two verses, that he is a guy that's looking for truth. Yeah, and I like that one word, just that one word in, uh, in verse 2 where it says, unless God were with him. He says all these miracles that I've heard and I've seen, I mean, none of this could have been possible unless God was with yeah. him. And so I, I, I tend to agree that that does match, even though it's not canonical. I believe that does match his character, that he's seeking truth. And I think that applies to all of us, is that one reason why we're here today doing this podcast. And, you know, and this is one reason why I listen to podcasts, and hopefully, listener, if this is one reason why you're listening to us, which we can't contain the truth. My humanity does not contain truth, but I can show you someone that can lead you to the truth. Uh, later on in John, we'll make mention in uh, chapter 14, Jesus does say that I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. One of my favorite verses. And Jesus here explains Nicodemus, uh, uh, you know, what exactly is the truth that we're going to explain. So we're going to get a little bit more into it. Yeah. So what is that truth? Jesus delivers it in verse 3. It says, Jesus replied, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? So another two verses tackled there and a lot to unpack yet again. Uh, for one, why do you think it is that, uh, that that's Jesus' reply? Why, why do you think that that's how he chose to reply to Nicodemus asking or saying, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Why would Jesus reply that way? to that statement. I think the reason I think Jesus, you know, brings this up in the way that he does is because, I mean, the way that we've been reading John so far is, you know, we like to think that this is how John sees things in the ministry of Jesus chronologically. So if we're looking at John chapter three, you know, this is one of the first things according to John that Jesus has done. And so I think this is important. Why Jesus says this is because in the previous two chapters, it's not really been made mention. We've seen some miracles and things, but as far as when it comes down to why Jesus is here, and knowing who he is and like coming to accepting Christ, it's not, nothing's really been shown. So I think for him it's saying this, you know, most surely I'd, I would say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot come into the kingdom of God. Uh, we're fixing to read it here in a couple more verses, but it says, you know, that that's his way of saying you must have a spiritual birth mm -hmm. you know you must become alive spiritually we'll hear preachers say all the time you know we have people in the church who are coming to church all the time but spiritually you know they might be physically they're breathing and living but spiritually you know they're as dead as a bag of rocks so you know i think jesus is trying to say you know there is more to life here you have to you have to it's the three part of man that you know for the you know we believe in the trinity you know the man or god the father god the son and the holy spirit god the holy spirit well it's the same thing with you know your flesh your soul and your spirit you know so yeah i think jesus is trying to make mention of you know you might be living and we might be talking but okay how is your soul or you know is your soul alive because uh, if not you know, you, you, there's, you know, things I'm fixing to show you out throughout my next three years of ministry of, you know, what that's going to entail. But I think the way that John has done this is, is fantastic because 
he has presented these first three events, I think, that, you know, Jesus turned the water into wine, that there's a miracle, there's evidence of something, there's power here. And then Jesus in the temple, overthrowing the temple, showing his authority. It's like, okay, so only he is able to do these miracles. And who is this God that has authority to do these things? And then here, the, the third question, I think Nicodemus has heard and he has seen Jesus and has heard these things about him and heard what he's saying. It's like, okay, so what is this all about? And Jesus, and I think John is presenting this in the way that he's writing, is like, okay, I've given you evidence. I've given you what the evidence is saying. Now I want to give you the conclusion in the sense of how that evidence can be applied. So in that henceforth, you know, how can I enter into that kingdom is through being born again. And so I think that's where the conversation is definitely leading towards and that, you know, the only way to be part of the Messiah's kingdom is to be born again. Yeah. Um, personally, one thing that I get out of uh, Jesus replying that way, I think I think a lot of it is he's appealing to Nicodemus's character. Because, I mean, we've already been shown in those first two verses that it seems that Nicodemus is much more open-minded than the other Pharisees, as far as we know. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, I mean, Nicodemus is pretty much the only Pharisee that you see that isn't painted in, like, a bad light due to their own actions. I mean, he's about the only one Currently, that actually yeah. gives Jesus, like, some room to talk. And it's like, hey, I'll, I want to learn, so teach me. I mean, he refers to him as rabbi. Uh, so I think that Jesus just coming out of the gate swinging with, hey, you got to be born again if you want to get in the kingdom of God. Like, that, that's him appealing to that character, Nicodemus. Jesus is like, hey, this guy is actually here to learn. This, this guy wants to understand. So I'm going to give an opportunity here. And then you have Nicodemus's, uh, I mean, we read in the Bible now, it sounds like a funny response, but you can kind of understand the internal struggle that's going on in Nicodemus's mind when he's asking, how, how can you be born again? That, that's a foreign concept, Jesus. What, what does this mean? Am I supposed to crawl back up in my mother's womb, which is a, an interesting mental picture. Uh, but that really makes you kind of wrap your head around how he can't wrap his head around that. Like he's, he's taking the kingdom of God seriously, so seriously that he's, he's actually entertaining that possibility. He's like, Jesus, I, th this kingdom of God, like I, you, you seem like the real deal. I, I'd really like to go to this kingdom of God. So you're saying be born again. How, how do, how do I do that? Am I supposed to like, actually, what, what does that mean? Like, am I supposed to go find mom and say, uh, I, I need to come back? I need My to go mother, back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. I need back in. <laughs> come here, mom. Then as a response to this, Jesus is going to say some controversial words, depending on who you are. And we're, we're going to get into some fun conversation as a result of this. Uh, I'll read through verse 8. So verses 5 through 8 say, Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So let's unpack this. Tanner, I know you've, you've got, some, yeah. you got some thoughts here, so what, what are yours? So there has been historically three explanations of this verse 5 of being born of water and of spirit. And we can read that, and it's like, okay, so was he exactly is he talking about water, and was he talking about spirit? And so there's historically three explanations, and I'm going to unpack these to you, and I want you all to think which one do you think you might end up at. You might have different opinions. We'll, I'm, we'll discuss this. Uh, but one of the first uh, possible explanations is that this is the perfect description of 
water baptism, that salvation through baptism. So born of water and of spirit. Now, because you need to be baptized, and that is of the spirit. And because of this, you can be born again and you can enter the kingdom of God. So this is, some people would say, that this is a perfect explanation of water baptism. Uh, but the problem here with this explanation is that if Jesus actually wanted to say that one must be baptized to be saved, then he probably would have said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is baptized and born of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Because he never once mentions again in this whole conversation of any kind of baptism type ordeal. Uh, it's it's later on in the chapter that has a little bit it talks a little bit of conversation about baptism, but that's not what that conversation conversational context is about. But here, if Jesus wanted to say you to be baptized to be saved, I'm pretty sure he would have said you must be baptized of being baptized in water and then being baptized in the in the spirit, because Nicodemus isn't foreign to the concept of baptism, and Jesus isn't foreign to the concept. Of baptism, and so if he, and also it would have said he he would be contradicting himself, as well, because you look in uh, John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only one his only begotten Son that whoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. So it's only the man through the faith through believing. In verse thirty six, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life, and so the wrath of God remains in him. So it's not an act of baptism it seems like he's not talking about here so that's a possibility but yet there becomes problems that intertwine with that one uh the second problem uh, probability that he could be talking about uh is that born of water is a reference to a natural birth so water he could be symbolic to the amniotic fluid uh of the pregnancy because when a woman is pregnant we're not going through a sex education class here, but yet when a woman is pregnant, the fluid that is within the uterus that is surrounding the baby is amniotic fluid, and it's a kind of a life-giving fluid for the baby to survive. And when your water breaks, it's that amniotic fluid rushing out, and it's a clearish fluid that could be perceived as sometimes water. And so uh, another possibility is that Jesus is strictly talking about a physical birth. Now, it would make sense. It would make sense because Nicodemus is kind of on the topic of how can I enter back into my mother's womb. I mean, it's in the context. I mean, to me, at first glance, I, I can see that. But one of the, um, one of the problems that could rely on this that would say that this could not be it is that the Greek for this word water that Jesus is presenting in verse 5 is hudor. And this is where we get our word hydro. Uh, you hear that, and this means water. But in the Greek, this it every time you see this word, it's never referencing to a physical birth, but always to an elemental thing. So every time you hear this word hudor or water uh, that Jesus is mentioning here, it's always by seas, oceans, streams, or pools, or whatever. So it's never in the context of natural birth, but yet it kind of makes sense in the context that Nicodemus and Jesus is speaking of. So that's a possibility. So the third and last possibility is that being born of water and spirit are two different aspects of one thing. And this one, when I was studying it, it kind of got a little bit hairy for me that I, I, I had to 
think about and sit on and chew on, but it, it does make sense. But born of water and spirit are two different things, but yet they are appealing to one thing, and that is spiritual birth. And the scholars that have uh, noted this is that being born of water is reference to knowing the need for a spiritual cleansing. Because we talked about in the four is that the water pots that were being used for the wedding, what were they used for? They were used for a spiritual cleansing. And so obviously they knew that there's a sense to wash your hands. There's a sense to, you know, uh, use water to cleanse yourself. Uh, and water in uh, the Old Testament is oftentimes used figuratively for a spiritual cleansing or a regeneration. Uh, I want to give you some of those verses real quick. In Psalm chapter 51, verses 2 and 7, it says, Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. And verse 7 says, Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, it says, I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and, uh, and all your idols. And then in John chapter 13, verse 10, even Jesus himself references this. And Jesus himself references it in John chapter 13, verse 10. It says, one who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. But he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, referencing to uh, Judas being betrayed. So, oh, Spoilers. Yeah. Uh, so the third explanation is that, you know, it's being born of water and being born of spirit is... Two things describing one thing of a spiritual rebirth. And I can see, and the, here's three possibilities of what that's referring to, and I can see a good argument for two of them. Uh, it being a natural birth and two things explaining a spiritual rebirth. Um, but what do, you, what do you guys think? I know that's a lot of information there. If, you know, we're, we're, what do you think that verse is talking about right there? Well, personally, I've never thought about this topic that hard. So what you're about to hear is my genuine face value. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes sense uh, explanation. But I, I'm on the side of that water, meaning like the natural birth. Like that just that just makes sense to me. Like as you were saying it out loud, I was just sitting here thinking, oh, well, yeah, obviously that's it. So, yeah, option number two for Matthew. <laughs> and for me, that it's the same thing for me. Like, and, and the reason I take it as that is because, I mean, like you started to talk in the medical terms. I mean, and not everybody's always had the medical sense, but I think I could, could be completely wrong, so this might just be a bunch of hogwash, as we've said earlier. But, I mean, I, I, do, I would think that at least in, you know, that time and day mm -hmm. that the term of, oh, no, like, you know, like my water broke. It was like still a relative value like thing like that, that like it, they had enough medical sense that that was still a thing and so I think you know that's what it's talking about like born of water like yes that there is water in inside of a female inside of a male like inside of the human body yeah so and I, I didn't want to interrupt uh, but I was thinking about the interjection when you were talking about the amniotic fluid I'm pretty sure they weren't calling it that back then they probably just referenced <laughs> sure. it as water True. yeah uh, so like that's that's how I've always understood it is you know they de they definitely didn't have the medical understanding and I'm sure probably Jesus did but he was like I'm not going to do that to them but yeah. <laughs> um, 
they, I just yeah. feel like they would have referenced it as simply water, just because I mean they didn't have the fully under, they didn't have the microscopes and all the other stuff to understand it. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. But more importantly, I now have recorded audio of Mason saying my water just broke. <laughs> <laughs> Is that going to be our funny clip? Add it to the blacklist folder. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I can, yeah, I, I, I tend to, because I don't think God is a God of confusion. Uh, but yet, I don't think that Nicodemus would have been confused by that, that third one, because I think he would have understood the context of being, you know, of, of spiritual cleansing. And I think that we can't be born again. And I'm, I'm trying to make an a, a argument for the third one, which they're both applicable. They're both correct in a sense. But what does it mean here? What will dad say? He, dad says that there's one interpretation, but many applications. So I think you can read this verse and say, you know, that's what he's talking about, but yet you can apply it to different things. So I think that third one, yeah, there needs to be a recognition that you need to be cleansed because that's what uh, we need to do as Christians. Or as, as, I understand as that sentence, one, yeah. and I'm not going to try to bash it because it, it does make sense, and there is, I mean, what we could consider to be scriptural supporting it. But the only reason I, I'm not fully on board with that one, mm-hmm. I mean, we can consider this a debate, but I don't think that there will be much of debate it. Debate it. Uh, is when I think of the cleansing, you know, we think of Jesus' blood, not water. Because if, I mean, if it was just water, what's the point of him shedding his blood? So for me, when I try to think of, you know, like us being cleansed, you know, sure, Old Testament and the Psalms that we've read, of course, it made sense then. Mm-hmm. But now that we're under, you know, Jesus and his blood, you know, that's what, you know, cleanses us from the sin. You know, that his blood was what, you know, has separated us from, you know, eternal separation from God uh, or the blood covering us and being able to spend eternity with him in heaven. So, I mean, it's. It, that's why I'm not fully on board with that one, just because of he knows what's going to happen in a few years. It's no surprise to him. And, I mean, he'll later on, we'll read it as we get, uh, who knows how many episodes deep into this, and at, towards the end of John when he says, you know, this is my blood. Yeah. Uh, so that's the sole reason why I'm not fully on board with that one. Which, I, and I think that, I think th- these are all good arguments, but I think the next verse really kind of, uh, takes it to the realm of that it is talking about a, a physical work because us as human beings we're the only ones that can rationalize and think we're the only ones that have a moral uh, compass am- amongst all of God's creation I mean if you if you if you can sit here and tell me that an ant has a moral compass please I would love to hear that interjection <laughs> uh, but Jesus he says truly truly I say unto you unless someone is born of water and born of spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born spirit is spirit. And so I think that kind of correlates back to the previous, like, born of water yeah. and born of spirit. And whatever is born of flesh and flesh and whatever is born of spirit. So you, the, only per, the only creation that God has created that can be born again is flesh, is born of water, is born of mm-hmm. out of the womb of woman, for sure. A little bit of a humorous side note. I, I like verse 7. Uh, where Jesus says, do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. Because uh, just reading that at face value, I mean, Jesus is just continuing to make his point. Sassy Jesus is back. Sassy yeah. boy. Yeah, sassy boy. It is a bit of a stretch, I'll admit, to say this is sassy Jesus. But I, I would like <laughs> I would like to think that verse 7 is Jesus responding to, like, Nicodemus's face. He's, like, he's, yeah, he's like, as Jesus oh. is describing this, like, Nicodemus is just, he's got this bewildered look of, like, what is it? Wait, what? Hold up. And he's just like, dude, don't. 
Easy now. It's not that hard, Nicodemus. <laughs> Easy, little child. Yeah, so th- that, that verse kind of, I don't know, I, I kind of see it as a almost behind the scenes sort of look. I feel like there's no way that's not sassy Jesus, yeah, though. Yeah, there's some implication in it that I quite <laughs> like. So, yeah. Uh, and then uh, I guess we can go back over verse 8. It says, The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to be honest. Like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> the honesty comes out. Does the disciples ever understand what Jesus is talking about? Nicodemus is confused, so it's like, why should we get it right in here and right now? You yeah. know, so, yeah. Because, I mean, Jesus is making... Like, he's making some comparisons here, and it seems like he's trying to put some things into perspective so Nicodemus can understand it easier. But then when he makes these uh, points about, like, where the wind blows, uh, and, like, you don't see where it comes or where it's going, and he says, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I'm like, wait, now hold up. You had me there, Jesus. But then you said that, and now I'm confused again. Okay, here's just something that clicks with me just from, you know, just from reading it and from what he's trying to say. Nicodemus is, from what I'm reading right now, he is someone who sees and hears and believes a believer by sight and by hearing yeah I, the only sort of explanation that i was getting out of that is that that's kind of just a weird way of jesus saying don't think about it too hard but yes. you're making your brain yeah. hurt. and here and really? here's why okay. i say that though right. yeah, 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 yeah. it's because the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but you cannot tell where it comes or you cannot see it you know the wind's there you hear it you feel so it compare, but you don't see yeah, it compare that to the, to so, the miracles that, yeah. so the spiritual part of that is like you know so is everyone who's born of the spirit yeah you might not see them be born again in the spirit but just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not true you don't see the wind yeah. but you feel the you feel it's coming you know you feel it moving through okay. you hear the wind it's the same thing with spirit you can Back then, they could hear Jesus, they could hear God, but I mean, today is what time we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, you know, that will commune with us, and so we can feel and I say this with like air quotes because it's not literal, but hear God, and so it's just, you know, I think that's Him trying to say, look, just because you can't see it or you don't, yeah, you won't see it, doesn't mean it's not like that. Okay, all right. That's how I take it at face value. I'm sure there's probably a, a deeper or better understanding for it because I'm not the best explainer. Well, but it's better I mean, than the no understanding that <laughs> I was having a minute or two ago. But for Nicodemus being that person who wants to know, I think that's just kind of being like the short way of what you said, like don't overthink it. Like hey, think of it like the wind. You can't see it, can't see the spiritual birth, but that doesn't mean it's not there. It's still there. And then we get to Sassy Jesus again oh, because yeah. I, I love it. <laughs> this one is definitely Dude, Sassy Jesus. I feel, I, I feel like Jesus is, you know, he brings forceful, aggressive humility upon people that need a little humility, which, take it for granted, Nicodemus passive is. Passive aggressive. Yeah, passive aggressive because Nicodemus is trying to find out the truth here. But then he goes, How can these things be, Jesus? And Jesus is like, Listen, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things. That's what he says. He's like, you don't know this? You don't know this? <laughs> Which, take it for granted, though. I mean, Jesus has kind of, that's kind of his whole point in his ministry on, on earth with the Pharisees and Sadducees. He's like, guys, you've been getting the picture all wrong. I, you know, I, I'll think about it all the time. And, of course, I'm sure you guys do, too, like what it was like to be with Jesus. And as much as I want to say I would I would l- love to be there, and I'm, I do wish I could be have been there with Jesus, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, what would he have said to me? <laughs> How would he have called me out? Yeah. I think that description, uh, because later Jesus, he says, you know, truly I tell you that we speak uh, what we know and we testify what we have seen, but we do not know except our testimony. And then here in verse 12, uh, Jesus says, if I have told you about earthly things 
you, do, you don't believe. How will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who, had descend, who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So Jesus is basically saying, you know, with the spiritual things, it's like you believe, like even if you see the miracles, you're not going to believe. And how would, you, how would you believe if I sent heavenly things, if I sent the Spirit? Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the story of Lazarus and, and the rich man. You know, the, the parable that Jesus speaks of that, Afterwards. Oh, you're talking about heavenly and earthly things. That's heavenly what you're, okay, and earthly yeah, things. That's and where like even like I, I think that Nicodemus is trying to rationalize a lot of things. Like he's trying to think through these things, and he's doing what is right and asking questions. But then, with the rich man, he said, "You know, send Lazarus back from the dead to tell my brothers mm-hmm. that Jesus is who he says he is. The truth. Tell them the truth." And what does Abraham say? He's like, "You know, even if I sent him from back from the dead." And your brother saw them, they wouldn't believe. They've got Moses, and they got the prophets, and they got the law, and they and they still don't believe. Mm-hmm. If they want, to, and if they have someone come back from the dead, they wouldn't believe that. So it's like Nicodemus is kind of in the same boat. It's like he needs a little bit more than just tangible evidence. That he needs that Jesus saying there's faith involved. There's a spiritual side of this. You know, I like to think of it a lot like this because the only person that I can think of right off the top of my head right now that has been able to see, you know, the things of heaven while on earth, John, in his later days, you know, after the book of John. Oh, the revelation. Yeah. The revelations. And there's, I don't, John tries to describe it the best way he can, but I mean, we all know Revelation is like the most disputed book of the Bible. And it's just because, you know, I don't think, there was no way John could describe it. And it's mm-hmm. and it's not just because oh it was two thousand years ago like he didn't have the knowledge we do today. I don't think either any of anybody in today's world could explain it yeah. any better. I mean John and I mean you could say this for us now like there's just no frame of reference. I mean the thing is the things that are happening in Revelation depending on your eschatological views could they might not happen for another several thousand years. So he's seeing a bunch of like super, super, super future stuff that like he can't wrap his head around that we wouldn't be able to wrap our head around. He's like, uh, uh, that's an eagle, I think. Is it? What? I don't. It looks like one. Sort of. But see, like that's the thing though. Like, if John, who I think this isn't just my belief, so this is the Bible according to Mason. uh, I do believe that when he was writing the Book of John that we're reading right now, he started to understand more when he was writing this, what Jesus was saying during his ministry and how it started to make sense. It didn't make sense at the time. And that, as we're reading this, like in the times of uh, Jesus here in his ministry, it didn't make sense to John at the time. But I think as he, you know, matured spiritually and, you know, in age and things, and when he was, and he starts to write all of this down, I think then it starts to make more sense to him. But even then, you know, where, where some years later, he's writing Revelation and he's, he's he just, I don't know. You just can't do it. So it's the same thing. Jesus is like, you know, if I tell you the things of heaven, it's not going to make sense to you because you can't even understand what you can see right here in front of you. Mm-hmm. So if I show you, so if I try to tell you about something you can't see, why do you even think that you would try to like, how would you think that you could even fathom it? You know, I think that's one thing that he gets in this conversation with Nicodemus and where we get our most, one of our most beloved verses, you know, John three sixteen, is that, you know, these things are difficult, but yet, you don't have to understand the extreme difficulty things that are there to enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, he references probably one of my favorite uh, stories of, uh, of the serpents 
fighting the, the people of Israel. And verse 14, he makes mention of, you know, Moses had the staff, the snake in the wilderness, and it was biting, you know, the, the, these snakes, because of the, the sin of Israel, these snakes were biting and killing these people, people of Israel. And Moses is like, how are, we going to, how are we going to survive this? And God told Moses to get a bronze serpent and put it up on the staff and then put it in the middle of the, of, of the camp. And whoever looks up at that serpent, they will be saved. And Jesus is saying here, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so right here, Jesus is prophesying that he's going to be lifted up. He's going to be lifted up on a, on a in front of everybody to see. And as long as we look up to him, we'll be saved. He's getting in, the, in this picture of like, listen, all these things, you may not understand it, but only through faith are you saved. And I think this is where, you know, we get our great verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Just to touch on verse 14 there, uh, when he's referencing uh, when Moses lifted up that, that snake of the wilderness so that the son of man must be lifted up, Jesus making that reference be like, hey, it's going to happen again, but it's going to be a lot more intense this time. Yeah. Dude, I first off, I've made it exceedingly clear. I love it when the Bible references itself, like this, those beautiful little those little works of art where it's like, hey, you know this thing that happened before? Yeah, it's still relevant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I, I remember that happening. Okay, this is just my brain, you know, like and wanting to wander around and things. And it says the Son of Man must be lifted up, and this is probably just me going a little bit too deep into it. But I wonder because you know the serpent was lift, literally lifted up above the people in the center of the town or center of the community, wherever they were be. I wonder if that's him referencing, you know, he must be lifted up on that cross and people are going to have to look up to him. I mean, I mean yeah, I would, I would assume so. That's yeah. what I was getting out of it. Okay, yeah. well, see, a lot of people, at least what I thought of before this was, you know, lifted up just in, you know, the idea of Jesus, like, like lifted up. Glorified? Yes, but not in a necessarily physical way, but just like the name of God. Well, Well, okay, maybe it's just me. That's not, I mean, I've kind of thought at it like that before, but I've not really pieced it together with verse 14. You've got to think of the, like what the comparison is. I mean, when Moses lifted up that image of the snake, it was to save people from their afflictions. And it was, it was raised up on a thing of wood. So when Jesus says, I'm going to be lifted up in a similar way, I mean, why wouldn't it mean that? He's, he's going to be lifted up so that people can rely on him to uh, save them from their afflictions, and he's going to be lifted up on a thing of wood. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, think, I, yeah, I, think I guess that's ways. just my ignorance is coming up. No, 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 no. And I think, too, if I, th- I, don't, I don't think it would be any shock if we look through history and if there was any kind of point in time that people started glorifying and worshiping that snake and that idol oh, yeah. in particularly instead of being like, Who's the one that did this for you? You know, yeah. who's the one? And I think of all these things, and Jesus is t- talking to Nicodemus because Nicodemus knows this story. Mm-hmm. He knows this story very well. And when the road to Emmaus, if, which we'll get there later, when Jesus rises again, he talks to the two disciples and he reveals himself later. He shows who he is in the Old Testament. And I think this could have been one of the stories like, listen, that was me, bro. That's talking about me right there. So going a little further, uh, we've gotten past the... Okay, well, actually, you know what? I'm going to... Little, little footnote on verse 16. Literally any time that I'm just, I'm just reading through Scripture and I come across that verse, the first thing I think to myself is, wait, Jesus said that? <laughs> like, 
that verse is, I mean, that's like the most quoted Bible verse of all time. So as a result, that verse kind of like gets disembodied in my head. Like it's just kind of, I mean, it's an out of context verse for me. It does stand alone. Don't, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. I mean, that, that verse is very self-explanatory. Uh, but since it's just kind of floating around in my mind as like one of the uh, several Bible verses that I just know offhand, I don't think about the fact that like that's Jesus said that. And, like, that adds so much more to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, I know that that might just be a lot of obvious talk to anyone listening to this that knows full well that Jesus said that. But, like, I just that's something that I have to get reminded of. I know what you're talking about, though. Like, it gets brought up so much. Like, that, that is the Bible in a nutshell. If you had to pick one I verse. I agree, yeah. If you have to pick one verse, that is the Bible in a nutshell. Non-believers know that verse. So, I mean, just for it to be thrown around or mentioned as much as it is it it can be easy to forget you know that jesus is the one who said this i understand what you're talking about well let's continue on this conversation with nicodemus because it gets a little bit more hairy in the sense of like okay so this is good stuff this is good news of you know whoever believes in me but what about that other stuff and so he says in verse uh, 17 it says for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and the only Son of God. In another version it says because he has not believed, or he has not believed in him, he's already condemned. And so he says, so this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light because of their deeds. So Jesus is saying, no, the good news has arrived, the light of the world to bring it out of darkness has arrived, but people don't want to seek the truth. And I think Nicodemus is an exception here that he wants to seek the truth. He's looking for the light. He wants to know, you know, the deeds. And so I think it's a great comparison that Jesus is light when he says he's, that I am the light. Because what does the light, what does a flashlight and lights do? It shows truth and it takes the things in the darkness and reveals what is actually seen. Yeah. Psalm 139. Yeah, and I mean, he also makes it clear just in that next verse, verse 20. Uh, Jesus says, for, any, for everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. Which, I mean, of course, that verse is kind of a, I mean, that can easily be a catch-all. I mean, because, again, like light exposes, that's just a general statement. Mm-hmm. But I'm also picking up a lot of, like, Jesus throwing shade at the Pharisees. I mean, just given the context <laughs> of when that's being said in that time, like he's making clear, like, Nicodemus, you, your your heart seems to want to be in the right place, but I'm just going to warn you: like Pharisees, they're they're going to get exposed. Every, everyone who's been holding these places of power, claiming that uh, they know the name of the Lord, like they're the light is coming, and everything will be exposed as a result. Uh, and then just to cap off this uh, first half of John three, verse twenty one says, "But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown." to be accomplished by God, mm-hmm. which, I mean, goodness, that's just, that, that's just like a, a beautiful one-two punch there. Verse 20 and 21, uh, Jesus is talking about the light's going to expose those who don't want to see it, but it's going to help those who do want to see it. Mm-hmm. Like just the contrast there, like Jesus can do so much for you. Like God can be such a blessing to you and you can be a blessing to God as much as you can be. But if you don't desire this, it's your worst nightmare. Yeah. And that, that's just another example of Jesus being able to bring this good news but make it clear that it might not be good news to everybody. Yeah. There are going to be a lot of people that, for whatever reason, just determine to have a hardened heart. And I think this is uh, a fantastic uh, conversation because John is the only book that has this conversation with Nicodemus. And we know 
for a good reason that Nicodemus believed. Because John is the only book that, that records that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus of Galilee helped take the body of Christ and put it in, in the tomb. And so we're, we have good speculation that Nicodemus decided to follow Christ and decided to say, okay, this guy is who he says he is. I think he'd be one of those fun dudes to talk to yeah. like when you get to heaven. You know, sure. people think about like, oh, I want to go see Paul and like other stuff. People forget about like, you know, like Nicodemus or what about, Z- Zacchaeus. What or, about Jesus? I mean, <laughs> well, I, mean well, I, hope, I hope the Nicodemus uh, is there. Like I mean, that's going to be like the be. first 10,000 years, but like the okay, next, for maybe but like the next 10,000, but like the next 10 years, I mean, I can spend like talking to other random yeah. people. Like you, <laughs> when you get up there and you see, you see Nicodemus, like you're just your first thoughts. Dude, you made it. Yeah. <laughs> hey guy. You uh, finally figured out that birth I thing, huh? <laughs> So you understood what this birth meant. The yes. first birth. Yeah. Uh, that's probably kind of the same thing, but. Well, we've had a long, we've had a, a lot of interesting conversations. Probably our first "quote unquote" debate, or going back and forth about little controversial things. But we need a debate. We need to have a good. Those will, I'm sure we'll those come, will be. They'll soon come, to come season two. Bring us in those questions on the emails and the yeah, Facebook yeah. and the all social media platforms, and we will get those going. Because I have seen some on Facebook, yeah. but I mean, we need more than just you know two or three. We'd like to get at least probably eight or ten. That's and, pushing it. Maybe four. Okay. Maybe four or six. Maybe Consume six. our lives with fierce biblical debate. Yes. We love it. Uh, but, I mean, as far as that goes, I think that's going to wrap it up for this one. We'll see you all in the next one. Tanner? Next episode, you might see Mason actually birthing a child. Make that the exit. Peace out.